State capture. What a ride. Chief Justice Raymond Zondo has handed over part four of the state capture inquiry's report to President Matamela Cyril Ramaphosa. The topics covered in this latest installment include the capture of ESCOM, the attempted capture of the National Treasury, Gupta bank accounts, and the free state asbestos and housing scandals. The report... After the ANC's Polokwane conference and the ascension of Zuma, the ANC's elite capture projects started to coalesce under the iron hand of one man, Mshalozi, the boss. Zuma began reformatting intelligence-gathering, policing, and state-owned enterprises as adjuncts of his syndicate working under the umbrella of the ANC. His secretary-general in the Congress was, famously, Gwede Mantashe. Our colleague Ferial Hafaji weighs in on how Mantashe helped manage this process. Several people approached Gwede Mantashe at the height of capture and they said to him, Comrade, there are terrible things happening here. And I remember a time where he invited people to bring him evidence and they did. They submitted documents to him. They had meetings with him and he did absolutely nothing. So there was a duty to the whistleblowers and a political duty to the country which I also think raises fundamental questions about his role in that period and his role as a leader. Leaving ethics and legality aside, as Secretary-General, Mantashe was sublime. He danced between and over factions, keeping the Congress coherent, managing the interpersonal wars and ensuring that the elite capture project didn't overwhelm the party. At least, not at first. His press conferences doubled as stand-up comedy routines, and he petted journalists like they were fat, tame cats. And he had a knack for saying nothing in a way that made for good copy. While the ANC, like many political parties, had always been a vector for self-enrichment, Zuma began to refashion the entire state as a mechanism for extraction. Mantasha provided the cover fire. Daily Maverick presents The Highwaymen, a limited podcast series written and directed by Richard Poplack and Diana Neal and produced with support from the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. The content may not necessarily reflect the foundation's views or opinions. This is Episode 7, Lights Out. We belong together and we must rebuild the ANC together. We must develop a continent of the ANC together. Mantashe's political purpose was to protect the ANC. And the minutes of the ANC subpoenaed by the State Capture Commission and things he has said subsequently shows that that is what drives Mantashe. The party comes first. Protect the party. Keep things on the inside. No matter what its impact is on the country and whose interests you, you say you govern, that didn't happen. Party first. We're going to see a very stable conference in Mangao. You are not going to see the repeat of Pulugwana. I'm putting my neck on the block on this one. At the 2012 elective conference where Zuma ran all but uncontested, Mantasha's old union buddy, Cyril Ramaphosa, a billionaire much beloved by corporate South Africa, was brought in as the deputy president so that there would be the appearance of an adult in the room. This appointment or election is something that I did not go seeking out. I was minding my own business. 
Meanwhile, the ANC's new Treasurer General was William Kieser, the KZN megaboss himself. Ace Machashule was running the Free State, along with similarly minded premiers in other provinces. They would later become known as the Premier League. On paper, it was perfect. The Zuma faction of the ANC was in control. But then, the late journalist Mandy Rousseau broke this story. South Africa's public protector said on Wednesday that President Jacob Zuma benefited unduly from a $23 million state-funded security upgrade to his private home. Tuli Madon Sellers report released six weeks before elections. In the lead-up to the publication of the public protector's damning report on the upgrades made to Zuma's homestead in Kandla, the ANC accused the office of leaking information to the media. The bombshell report dropped just before the 2014 national election, so Mantashe's dancing had to get fancier. That worries us. We get a debate going on, not based on the final report. We think that is a dangerous threat from our side. This is, in our view, a deliberate and misleading casting of a special on those being investigated. In this instance, the president of the ANC. And then, in 2015, just as everyone was cracking their second beer of the December holidays, this news broke. I've decided to remove Mr. Ntlanslanene as Minister of Finance. At the alleged behest of the Gupta syndicate, Zuma replaced Nene with a poorly sewn hand puppet named Des van Royen, who could barely count, let alone run a finance ministry. But still, Mantashe kept things from spilling out into complete chaos by forming a ruck that would install the internationally respected fake communist Praveen Gordon into the treasury. Mr. Nene's dismissal, that he was going to be assigned to a prick's job. There was no such, such job. Zuma's fight for his political life, a brutal populist scuffle that cost him as the aggrieved party in all of this, took place as Brexit reshaped the United Kingdom into a chaos generator, and Donald Trump's victorious campaign removed the pine-scented air freshener from America's far-right pit toilet. The rolling back of liberal norms that had pertained for decades was happening across developing and developed world democracies. Zuma, who rose to power in 2009, was the canary down the mine, warning the planet of what was coming its way. He was Trump before Trump, Johnson pre-Johnson, Viktor Orban with a better chuckle. Even if you tell them the Kanzler report is being processed, Nkandla, even if we are discussing very serious matters, a man stand up, point of order. Yes, Nkandla, Tiggs was a judge cook. And then in May 2017, the Daily Maverick, Amabongane, and News 24 broke this story. And everything broke along with it. More than 100,000 leaked confidential emails and documents have been released in South Africa by a group of investigative journalists. They allegedly back up suspicions that state contracts have been improperly awarded to allies and backers of President Jacob Zuma. Central to the emails is the powerful Gupta family, who has long been suspected of having undue influence in the government. When the Gupta leaks flooded the media zone, it was clear that corruption had become entrenched in the South African governance system to such an extent that it was the system. From big corporations to small businesses running illicit tenders, the collusion was staggering. McKinsey and Company, Bain and Company, KPMG, SAP, Liebherr, Bell Pottinger, blue chip multinationals had all piled in, 
eating the state's carrion like hyenas at a third-rate game park. It was all symbolized by the Gupta family's relationship with Zuma, three Indian brothers with a Johannesburg Stock Exchange-listed business and no ostensible ties to government, who together ran a shadow state that was more powerful than the actual state. There was no longer anywhere to hide. And yet, Mantashe hid. When you say you were unable to deal with the Guptas, I was thinking as we're saying this, what should we do? Should we deport them? Uh, uh, because if we deport them, they will not be here. Maybe the problem will be resolved. And I said, but a political party can't do that. That's the function of the state. Government and the state must deal with that issue. By 2017, the lid was off. It was a fight for what remained of the ANC, with Zuma's proxy, the former minister and African Union chief, Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, facing off with the formal economy's proxy, Cyril Ramaphosa. So dozy was this high-stakes campaign down at the bottom of Africa that it felt like a J.M. Kutsia novel edited for clarity by the head of a sleep clinic. There were no ideas, no policies. Ideological contestation was replaced by posturing, empty anti-corruptionism, emptier African nationalism, and the usual communist cosplay. Mincing his way through this mess was Gwede Mantashe, until the battle culminated at the ANC's 54th Electoral Congress at the brutalist Nazrek compound outside Johannesburg, a vast and horrific concrete structure built at the end of the previous regime. Viva the ANC! Viva! You could almost taste the hatred in the awful food served to the press pool. I wish to thank you, comrades, delegates... Robust as you were at certain moments. It was Ramaphosa's team CR17 pitted against the Zuma Radical Economic Transformation Faction, plutocrat versus populist kleptocrat. Comrade Mgosazana Lamini Zuma received 2261 votes, and Comrade Cyril Ramaphosa received 2440 votes. We declare Comrade Cyril Ramaphosa as the new president of the African National Congress. Although the ostensibly clean and ostensibly liberal Ramaphosa camp won, the elective conference was full of nasty little surprises, not least of which was how much money was spent on the two warring campaigns. It later became clear that nearly half a billion rand was hosed into Team CR17 by corporate donors and brand name South Africans. This wasn't illegal. But it was ugly, and the money was nearly matched by Zuma's cabal, who got their funds from the likes of the Guptas, Ace Machashule, and other shakedown artists. This is Heinrich Böhmke, former trade unionist and director of the Specialized Skills Institute of South Africa, describing this process. The other rule was that we would have internal democracy, at least inside the ANC. Branches were contested, the ideas were held, position papers were swapped. Nowadays, slates are composed based on money. Positions in the ANC have become monetized so that all throughout the entire ANC electoral system and their governance and their own internal processes, people are selected based on being paid off. A lot of them are selected based on the amount of money that they could trade for the position that they had. After blowing hundreds of millions of rands on allegedly buying delegate votes, Ramaphosa claimed that it was time for reform. A A new new dawn. dawn. Is upon us. As the public relations machine put it. And he's set to work 
putting together his new cabinet from the shallow ANC talent pool. I've decided to make the following appointments to the national executive. Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy will be Gwede Mantashe. This should have been a happy story. A former mine worker and labor organizer takes over the mining industry in the wake of liberation. This is what the new dispensation was all about. Crack the J.C. LaRue. But no. Last year I got three titles. One is a coal fundamentalist. Second is a fossil fuel dinosaur. Third, polluter of the year. All my journalists, our friends here, they gave me these titles. I took all of them. I'm still asking for them to give me certificates so I can end them in my house. Despite the jocularity, Mantasha is not playing around. His administration of the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy has been an exercise in the sort of collusion he helped perfect for the ANC over the years. Ignoring renewables, Mantasha has done everything he could to ensure that coal remains by far South Africa's main energy source, an entire network of mini-mafias and ANC-aligned corporations that benefit from coal production. And Mantashe appears to want those to remain intact. He has insisted that liquid natural gas, LNG, will serve as an alternate fuel source. And so South Africa has backed the decrepit Mozambican government in its attempts to defeat an Islamic insurgency in its nascent gas fields in Cabo Delgado. Fields in which the South African state is, as it happens, an investor. He has backed the frankly insane Turkish car power ship project, where three emergency power-providing LNG-burning ships would be docked on the coast, providing filthy energy for the emergency period of 20 years at least, at a cost of 218 billion rand, or $15 billion. He has backed offshore seismic testing for oil and gas, undertaken by Shell, in which the ANC has a stake, an exploration project that has repeatedly been halted in the courts. He has called the opposition to these projects, wait for it, colonialism and apartheid of a special type. He has faced off against communities in the Eastern Cape, most famously in the coastal district of Kolabeni, who do not want mining projects in their midst. We could go on, but we have to mention at least one last pipe dream. Despite the costs, which South Africa simply cannot afford, and the association with Russian mega-corruption, which South Africa also can't afford, Gwede Mantashe is still committed to more nuclear power for South Africa. Only now that Europe says so, we'll begin to see gas and nuclear as part of the green transition. Before that, we did not. We said we must not touch. Those are fuels. Don't touch nuclear. It's expensive. And nobody wants to tell the story that in South Africa, the lowest cost of energy is from nuclear power station in Quebec. It's the only source of energy that gives us energy at 40 cents a unit. We'll, we'll build nuclear in modular form, and people will make offers for it. Meanwhile, Through a combination of red tape and departmental inefficiency, it's now almost impossible to secure a mining prospecting license in South Africa. Looked at from above, what Mantashe appears to be doing is ring-fencing energy and minerals from the outside world and allowing only players affiliated with the ruling party and by extension the minister himself a shot at the trough. Textbook elite capture. This theory is bolstered by the fact that the DMRE has a shadowhead and Mantashe's wife, Norwandle. 
She is alleged to have scuppered mining deals that haven't cut in the right people, and her involvement is reminiscent of a certain power couple, Dr. Zweli and May Mkize, who ripped off countless entities in their decades-long side hustle in neighboring KZN. Ferial Hafiji explains. He's named three times as receiving payola in the form of security upgrades at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. And maybe the quantum of that is small compared to the theft we used to. But his response to those was really interesting to me in that he excused it. Then, as a mineral resources and energy minister, I've just seen him yoking himself to big energy interests to the detriment of South Africa. That has been and is quite alarming to me. And to see the politician that he is becoming from the person who I've always known has been a a very uncomfortable transformation to observe. It's enough to say that the status quo suits the company man, who still has but one job, to sustain the institutions of corruption for the benefit of the ANC, which is itself a parasitic zombie walking toward the political grave. Like Zweli Mkize, like Ace Mahashule, Mantasha likely harbors presidential ambitions. These are the highwaymen, plundering South Africa under the umbrella of an old, once-beloved liberation movement that has been the political and spiritual home for five generations of South Africans. As we traverse the potholed roads of the Eastern Cape, with Gwede Mantashe's recriminations ringing in our ears, we head towards one last stop, a makeshift army on the edge of South Africa's future. The Highwaymen is written, produced and directed by Richard Poplag and Diana Neal, with editing and sound design by Diana Neal, Bernard Kutzer and Tevya Turok-Shapiro. The original soundtrack is written by Bernard Kutzer and Janis van der Maven. Our deputy editor is Gillian Green. Our project manager is Catherine Kutzer. And our marketing lead is Sarah Kwebman. Fact-checking and editorial oversight by Sasha Whale-Smith, with transcriptions provided by Gloria Cooper. Additional voiceover by Ayanda Charlie. Our editor-in-chief is Branko Brickich. And our executive producer is Silly Gerlambus. Production of The Highwaymen was made possible with support from the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. The content may not necessarily reflect the foundation's views or opinions. For additional archive and music credits, please visit Daily Maverick. You can listen to The Highwaymen on IONO, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen to them on the Daily Maverick website. If you found this installment interesting, illuminating, or perhaps even a little life-changing, please consider leaving a review or sharing on social media.